I think everyone is called to lead. When you look at the command that Jesus gave us, it is to teach everyone what I've commanded you. Make disciples. And that's leadership. What's up, you guys? Welcome to the Loop Community Podcast, where we're passionate about providing you with quality and affordable resources to help your band sound great, but most of all, to help you sound like you and who God made you to sound like. I heard someone once say it as, don't be a second-rate version of someone else. Be the first-rate version of you. And that's what we're passionate about. We want to help worship leaders to sound the best that they can of who they are and who God made them to be. So, Derek, we have like an amazing interview today. So good. One of my favorites. Like, I wish that I would have read this book by Dave Workman before my interview because I feel like it would have gone 10 times longer. Yeah. Because it's honestly an incredible book, Elemental Leaders by Dave Workman. Dave was my senior pastor and my boss for like five years. And my conversation with him really made me miss those days and miss just my time hanging out with Dave and uh, he's just, he has so much wisdom and he's been doing this a long time mm. and I'm glad he put this in a book. And uh, so I'm excited. We're going to talk about the interview afterwards. We're going to dive right into the interview now. So here's my interview with Dave Workman. Dave, welcome to the Loop Community Podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here with you. It's an honor to, to interview you on this because you were my senior pastor for five years in Cincinnati. And you survived that. And I survived. <laughs> we had a lot of good moments together. Yeah. Let me just give you a little plug here. You were an amazing worship leader, way beyond your years. And mm-hmm. um, man, I, I don't think we even uh, took advantage of you the way we should have in so many ways. Mm-hmm. But you're a fantastic worship leader. Wow. Thanks. I honestly, I look back and I'm like, wow, I can't believe you guys hired a young punk, you know, 17 year old right out of high school. Because <laughs> I moved, I packed up and moved down to Cincinnati right after high school and was at the vineyard there for five years, all through college. And those were some of my most <laughs> memorable like years. I learned so much in leading worship there and just in ministry. And it was a church I loved. I mean, I grew up going to the vineyard for summer of service, the youth camp. Oh, of course. And uh, it was a church I always loved because it's an outward-focused church. It is a church that's not focused on themselves, but about serving the city, serving the people around them. And That was the secret sauce, for sure. And um, I remember when I first got introduced to the church, it was meeting in a home with about 20 people sitting around. And Steve Shogan, was, <laughs> he'd come here to plant this church. It was him and a 12-string, and that was it. And uh, I remember asking, so what's this new church kind of going to be about? Because I had come through the Jesus People movement of the mid-70s. And uh, a guy at the church named Walt said, I think we're just going to worship and take care of the poor. And I thought, wow, could we do that? Could it really be outward focused? Wow. And, And it was. 
It is still to this day, I believe. Yeah, it's, it's a great place. They're doing they're doing well. They're doing well without me. Yeah, gosh. So let everybody know just a little bit about your background. Like, what's your what's Dave Workman's background? I know you have a musical background. You were in like a Christian rock band, right? I have a a story history. The quick version is that I came to Christ when I was about 21 years old, and prior to that, I had played music from the time I was 14. I was playing in bars before I could drive. Wow. I was playing drums in those days, and uh, I, I can just remember. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember through high school, I was playing on most weekends. I was gone. And so I dropped out of college, actually, to uh, play music. I thought, this is it. This is my life. And hooked up with this band from Philadelphia. I was living in Kentucky at the time. And uh, actually, the guitarists, there were two really great guitarists in the band. One of them went on to become a music producer in Nashville of country stuff, which I didn't understand. We weren't country. And the other guy was uh, Sid McGinnis, who was the guitarist on The Letterman Show for years and years. Wow. A fantastic guitarist. But anyway, uh, that band fell apart, and I moved to Cincinnati and hooked up with a band there. And we were uh, just playing every weekend in bars, mostly cover songs. And then uh, and then I came to Christ, and that changed everything. And I thought, oh, my goodness, i got to get out of the bar scene. This is not uh, healthy for me. My dad was an alcoholic. And so... Um, so I stopped playing music, and after a, about a year or so, felt like God said, it's okay, now you, you can do this. And so uh, me and a buddy, I'd met a new Christian, and uh, we just go to coffee houses and sing about Jesus. I think, man, this is the best-kept secret. Why didn't anyone tell me about Jesus? This is amazing. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we did. And then uh, down the road, hooked up with some other musicians in Cincinnati and was in this uh, Christian rock band called Prodigal. We starved to death, traveled on the road yep. five years across the U.S. and Canada. Make sure you YouTube Prodigal, because there's some cool videos oh. of Prodigal. You'll see Dave Workman in there. Actually, it's really funny now, Matt. Uh, there's a, a company called Retro Records, and they're reissuing old Christian rock bands, and they've done a whole reissue of Prodigal stuff. Wow. And it's just so funny to, to listen, because this was pre-CDs. This was pre-digital right. world. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, so did that for years. My wife supported me. It was a, She's amazing. And then when we had our first baby, I thought, I don't want to be an absentee dad. I don't want to mm. be that, that guy. Yep. So I got a job as an engineer in a local recording studio. And uh, we were getting more involved with this new little church play called The Vineyard. So a few years into that, uh, they asked if I would uh, join the staff, and they did. And the rest is history. That little living room group grew to about 6,000 people on a weekend. And it was just insane. So, wow, it was quite a ride. Right, and so it grew to how many people? Six thousand were coming on a weekend, but you know, you remember those days when you're standing in front of the church with a guitar and you look out and you realize you don't know half of the people. You've crossed over several hundreds at that point. Yep. And then it just exploded as we served yep. people. And you guys kind of started servant evangelism, right? The founding pastor of the church was Steve Shogren. He's kind of the father of servant evangelism and and uh, the one really kind of took it to the next level. So, And explain what that is even. Like, what is servant evangelism for people who maybe aren't familiar? Yeah, the idea was, let's just serve people with no strings attached. If Jesus, the Son of God, said, even I, the Son of Man, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, well, then shouldn't we kind of function in that way too? And so 
the first things we began to do was just bag up groceries and take them to the projects and ask people if they needed any help or whatever when we were just a handful of people. But then it became, how do you serve middle-class people who don't have the same physical needs? So that's when we started doing free car washes and washing uh, bathrooms of businesses, cleaning the toilets, uh, giving away Cokes at traffic jams, whatever we could think of to serve. Yeah, I remember that big time, you know, coming down there for a summer camp and doing those for a week. Well, there are two things that were really happening because the needs that were being met on, on the typical sort of edges and stuff was a- anyone could go out and buy a Coke or a bottle of water. So it wasn't such a big deal. But what was happening was we were changing people's perception of the church. And instead of people thinking, oh, they just want your money or they just want this or they're all hypocrites, what if we serve them without any strings attached? And the second thing was happening was we were changing the culture within the church mm-hmm. to becoming, hey, this is not about us. This is about others. And that's a big deal in the church. So then you were senior pastor there for how long? Uh, a little over 13 years, actually. It's wow. hard to believe. So yeah, it was a blast. It made that transition from worship leader yep. to senior pastor. What I think is really cool about that, I was thinking about this yesterday, was that, and I've never seen a senior pastor do this to this day, but you would, after you would preach, you would pull out a guitar and you would do your own closing song, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was so cool because it was just like, a, almost like your closing prayer in a way. Like, hey, let's just sing yeah, this song. That's exactly, that's exactly what it was, Matt. And the idea was, um, it was just nice to be able to kind of lead a prayer at an intimate level like that without a full band or anything. And it just quiets things down. And um, I've honestly never seen a senior pastor do that since. Um, <laughs> I don't think it was super uncommon in the vineyard. I don't believe, maybe, but... Yeah, well, probably because a lot of the pastors in the vineyard were worship leaders before, right? Yeah, yeah a lot of them were musicians. I think it's also just sets such a good example too. If you know, if the senior pastor is like the main worship leader in a way, like setting an example of of what worship looks like, and yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, just think about King David in the Old Testament, and uh, this guy was he was kind of like Bob Dylan with a bazooka. He was a poet. He was a musician. Apparently, it's 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 implied that he actually made instruments. Uh, he was a warrior. He was a leader, a king. I mean, talk about a multifaceted guy. And I think sometimes senior pastors can kind of get in a very narrow rut. Right. So I would love to hear from your perspective. I mean, I was a worship leader on staff at your church <laughs> for years. I'd be I'd be curious to hear from a senior pastor's perspective. And I'm sure this would help some worship leaders who are listening. Like, is there a thing that you wish your worship leader knew, like when you were like leading them? Yeah, I think it's this, Matt. Uh, you know, a, a good senior pastor is always thinking from a, a global perspective regarding the church. And that's even more challenging in churches that are kind of user-friendly or trying to be seeker-friendly or whatever. So that typically means that they're always thinking about the different demographic types who may be attending. So when I was speaking or giving a message, I usually had three or four different types of people that I would picture in the audience. So it could be like a single parent or a corporate executive type, maybe a blue collar assembly line worker or a college student, as well as different ethnicities and genders. And then I would overlay this on top of that. What if that person and that demographic type was far away from God? How would they be responding to any of this that's going on in this 
in this church service. So I always hoped that our worship leaders would think like that, mm. that they were this odd blend of evangelist and pastor. They're shepherding people into this really precious, intimate time with Jesus. And yet they're always kind of looking on the outside for the person who's in the back standing with their arms crossed and uh, just staring straight ahead. So wow, that, that's what you hope your worship leader. That changes the way we communicate. And it makes, it makes worship not just vertical, but empathetically horizontal. Mm. So you're thinking horizontally at an empathetic stage. You're empathizing with the person out there who doesn't yet know Jesus. And it's like that delicate balance of serving a meal, having a dinner uh, at your house. And so uh, if you just sit down, just start chowing away right away, and your guests are walking around trying to figure out where are the plates or where the where's the silverware, yeah. that's really awkward. Or if you're just uh, you know refreshing drinks and cleaning the table and doing that, and you never sit down and eat. That's just as weird, too. So when you think about it, on Sundays or your, on your weekend services, there are really only two things happening verbally. There's horizontal communication and there's vertical communication. There's horizontal messaging to the people out there and there's vertical communication to God. And it's a unique experience when you think about it that doesn't happen in any other musical environment or musical experience. So when you yank people back and forth horizontally and vertically, that is when worship leaders talk between songs or even get instructive or even worse, get a little parental, you know, and I came from a charismatic background, so I heard that a lot in that world. It's like driving a stick shift in heavy traffic and it just wears out your passengers when you have to downshift. Yeah, people start getting car sick. <laughs> it, that's, that's absolutely true when you go this horizontal vertical, horizontal vertical and so forth. So yep. those are the things that you wish worship leaders uh, really get. Wow, that is so good. It can be easy to, if you're just leading worship, to just be like, all right, I'm, you know, worshiping God and then actually forget that, wait a minute, there are 500 people out there that are following yeah. you. <laughs> you know, this they're not just here to watch you have your own personal time with God. Yeah, that's good, Matt. And who are those people and where are they in there in the spectrum of being far from God and knowing him intimately? Wow. What is a healthy relationship or partnership look like between a worship leader and a senior pastor? Like if it's operating on all cylinders. Wow. I'll tell you a funny experience I had. So after I became senior pastor, I was invited out to this thing in the Rockies. It was put on by Leadership Network, and they just tried to uh, link uh, pastors together for different forums. And there were maybe eight to ten other pastors, and these were all pastors from uh, similar-sized churches, mega churches. And at some point, one of the pastors got off on their worship leaders. And this guy went for it, man. And his thing was, what do these people do all day? What am I paying them for? What do they do all week? <laughs> and every single pastor there had an issue with their worship leader or their music director. This is a more traditional setting. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And at one point, I just remember saying, time out. Hey, let me give you guys a little perspective from the other side here. <laughs> here are the things that drive me crazy as a worship leader when I was doing that. So it was a fascinating conversation. In the perfect relationship, there would be this, there would be this mutual respect and appreciation for each other's gifts. And so there's a common sense. You hope that there's this common sense of mission 
what's the mission of the church, and a clear understanding of the of the corporate values of the church. So not just the whys, but a little bit of the the hows, the corporate cultural uh, values. That's the culture or the vibe or the atmosphere through which we do the mission. Wow. So the pastor, here's what you hope. You hope that the pastor understands the critical nature of corporate worship and the part it actually plays in discipleship. On the flip side, you hope that the worship leader respects the the, the spiritual weight and the responsibility that the senior pastor carries. Uh, you would hope that, um, that the pastor uh, knows uh, that the worship leader needs space to create and play during a week. And by play, I don't mean just play your instrument. I mean just space to dream a little bit about what worship can be. On the other side, you hope that the worship leader knows that the pastor uh, has to juggle the unique needs of a wide span of people. <laughs> and like any of us, uh, worship leaders rarely hear, or I shouldn't say this, often don't hear the people who are critical of them. Those people come to the senior pastor. Right. <laughs> and so the senior pastor hears all that in the same way that it's pretty rare that people, if they dislike the senior pastor's message, will come to the senior pastor and say, wow, that really right. sucked. Yeah, they go to other people. Yeah, they'll just slap you on the back and say, hey, good message today, pastor. Pastoring is really hard. Worship leading is really hard. Yeah. People don't realize it. It can look so effortless. Right. But it's really, really difficult. And the senior pastor role is just really lonely. It's a lonely spot. Yeah. You just don't know that until you get into it. And in the end, decisions, um, kind of the buck stops with you. And you're not really the CEO because you know that Jesus is really the CEO. And so you've got this vertical and horizontal thing that you're trying to do constantly. Yeah. And it's challenging. You know how hard it is to hear God. Oh, yeah, totally. And other people are wanting you to hear God the way that they heard God, maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or they think they or they think you have a constant pipeline to God. So or or here's another one. You hope that the pastor doesn't tell the worship leader what to play. That's disastrous, I think. And that the worship leader actually asks the pastor for feedback. Mm. That would be the ideal uh, relationship. Or, you know, you've heard this before, but the pastor doesn't lead worship and the worship leader doesn't preach. If they understand those two dynamics, you got some pretty good things going on between worship leaders and pastors. Wow. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. Do you remember, was there ever a time when you actually had to kind of go to the worship pastor and be like, hey, I don't think we should be singing that song here or... Or maybe like be for a theological reason or... Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of a time when that... Sorry, that's kind of a curveball. That's good. I think there are maybe a couple of times, very few that I can remember, where I said, hey, I think we've kind of worn that song out. <laughs> and um, yeah. Or maybe because typically you're kind of watching the audience to see... Are they really engaged in worship? Mm -hmm. And and you know, as a worship leader, that you have to if you're doing introducing a new song, you got to do it several weeks, right? To see if it's really working and are people getting it. But if one isn't working, if the worship leader isn't catching that, I think it's a, a senior pastor should say something, but give space. Yeah, right. Do you have any tips for worship leaders and how they would relate to their senior pastor? 
Uh, I don't know uh, anything beyond what we just talked about. No yep. more than just mentioned, but communication. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, it's classic Stephen Covey stuff. Seek first to understand. Understand. Mm, right. In any reporting relationships, when people do that, it just it just works better. I think. Right. Well, so let's get into your books. I mean, we could keep talking, I feel like, for another hour just about the dynamics between senior pastor and worship leader. And honestly, I think you could help a lot of worship leaders. Well, it's it's a big deal because, you know, if it's a typical church service of, say, 60, 65 minutes, and the worship leader is doing 20 minutes or so of that, that's a third of your corporate time together. You just want to make sure that everything's kind of running on all six cylinders. When I reported to Steve Shogun, he was just a really dynamic very catalytic type leader, but he also notices a lot when things aren't right. And I noticed that when I became senior pastor, I was doing the same thing. You're just noticing everything, what the lobby looks like, what people are doing, everything, because you want it to be as hospitable as possible. Christine Pohl, she wrote a great book called Hospitality. She's a, she was a professor at the seminary at Asbury. And the Greek word for hospitality means love of strangers. And so pastors are always thinking about that. How do we love strangers better? And so you just notice that stuff. But Steve would have a tendency to just write between services. I mean, Matt, there was a time when we were doing seven services every weekend. Wow. I actually had five different bands because no one band could do all seven services. (laughs) You're doing two on Saturday nights, four on Sunday morning, starting at 8.30, and one on Sunday night, all identical. And if you led, you led all of them. But the bands are switching out, so it's just totally chaos, and you really have to think through how easygoing your arrangements are and so forth. But Steve, in between services, would sometimes say, hey, I noticed there's something going wrong over here, or da-da-da-da-da. And finally, I had to say, Steve, you can't tell me that in between services, because that affects my emotional ability to relate to all these volunteer worship guys. Right. And so I'm constantly on the weekend, you're the cheerleader for your worship band. Mm. You're the one who has to be up emotionally. You're the one who's cheering them on. They're volunteering yep. their time and their energies. So it's not like you're paying these guys. You really have to work hard at being an encourager if you're a worship leader to have negative stuff coming at you. So finally, I'd say, Steve, call me on on Monday. Yep. Keep a list <laughs> of everything that's not working and let me know. Yep. But I can't handle it in the moment. Wow. That's so good. That's very practical advice. <laughs> All right. So you've written a few books. Outward Focused Life was one, right? Yeah, actually, that just went out of print. It really? It was written way back in 2008. Oh. And uh, they'll probably revert the rights back to me. And I'll, I may okay. release it in a different form. I, I think I'd like to create a devotional out of it, actually. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was written, uh, it's hard to believe, 10 years ago. And that's a good one that talks about what we were talking about earlier with servant evangelism. Yeah, yeah. It's just filled with stories and kind of the attitude and uh, the feel of what it means to serve people and so forth. But I finished a book just uh, about a year and a half or two years ago called Elemental Leaders. And it was just uh, after I stepped out of leading uh, in the senior pastor role, it was just kind of a brain dump of things that I observed about leadership, about my own failings and successes, about observing other leaders. And, and what I like to do, Matt, is just break things down to the simplest, simplest elements possible. And so it was my observation that if you had these four traits happening in a church, churches tend to be healthy. And the four traits are integrity, 
That's all from an organizational perspective. And this goes for personal leadership as well. Integrity having to do with systems and processes and infrastructure. It's how you get the mission done. Second was passion. Is the church engaged in the mission? Are they committed? Are they excited? Is there a general buzz about what the church is doing? What's the passion level? The third thing is servanthood. Is the church outward focused or is it primarily just about its own membership and people attending? And fourth, imagination. What's the capacity? What's the change capacity? What's the ability of the church to innovate when things aren't working well? Are they willing to shift because the culture shifts so fast in terms of reaching lost people? So if those four elements are balanced in a church and amped up, churches tend to be healthy. Yeah. What we wanted to do was to create a system to measure those things and help churches move along in that construct. Right. And you apply these four elements on the individual leader level, right? Yes. And it's interesting how they also translate to the organizational level. Yeah, it's really. And what's funny, man, is we've been working with churches now using this context for a couple of years now. And what we find is, for instance, pastors who measure high on the passion scale, they typically are low on the integrity scale. Not meaning they don't do what they say, but rather they really don't have good systems and processes in place to get things done. Right. Because they're all amped up all the yeah, time. Yeah, like, let's get this done. I have this idea. Yeah, let's go, go, go. It's all about mission, mission, mission. And then no system. What we've covered as well is that when they do the assessments with their leadership teams, the teams will rank the church as being very passionate. <laughs> so the speed of the leader determines the speed of the church and the speed of the team. So if they're amped up on passion, typically the churches are pretty passionate, but very low on infrastructure and processes and systems. It's fascinating to me. Wow. Is the same true for the other two? So passion? Oh, yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, think about sometimes churches that are very systemic and they've got everything buttoned down and they're, you know, the high integrity in terms of getting things done oftentimes they're not very innovative and they've lost the imagination scale. So doing new things requires risk. It requires change. And we don't like change because we've got a good system buttoned down. So you can see, you know, the bright side and the dark side of either one of these. Right. So do you go into churches and help? Like, what does the coaching look like? There's a website called elementalchurches.com. It's there when a church says, yeah, we need some help. Uh, we've either plateaued or, hey, we're doing okay, but I'd like to kind of get an outside perspective and an outside view. Or churches that are in decline or pastors who frankly just feel stuck. They've maybe never led anything beyond the size that they are. So they don't know what to do next. So we take them through the four elements and it's a curriculum-based, team-driven process. Hmm. So all of the assessments are done online. The reason why we want to get it as web-based as possible was so that it's just not me coming in with an opinion. That's why we use so many different assessments. And when a church walks their leadership team, when a leadership team goes through the curriculum, there are personal exercises and reflective exercises and there are group exercises, and they upload all their reports on the website. And we take all that information on the backside, analyze it, and it usually ends up with about a 14 or 15 page report of here are the challenges based on these four elements. Mm. And here's some recommendations. 
And now we're noticing that churches are taking those recommendations and often that becomes their strategic plan for the next 12 to 18 to 36 months at times. Right. Yeah. To really work on those areas where they need to improve. Yeah. And again, if those four things are happening, churches tend to be healthy. Wow. And this goes down to every leader in the church, not just the senior pastor, right? Like then the worship leader and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They work the process. It's called the LML Church's Inventory. They work it as a team. So whoever is on the leadership team, and often that'll be the worship leader, maybe children's ministry, and this staff person, an associate pastor, maybe an executive pastor, or if it's a really small church, that may be their volunteer elder board. Whoever are the primary decision makers and shapers of the culture, those are the ones who go through all the assessments, go through the audit. And so it really becomes a leadership development tool. Wow. And the reason why we wanted to do so much of it online was so that we could keep the price down low for the average church. Right. I'll just be honest with you, Matt. I used a lot of consultants at the Vineyard Cincinnati, and and some were good and some were okay, but I can tell you they were all expensive. (laughs) (laughs) And the average church, they don't have the resources for that. So there has to be a kingdom approach for how churches can measure the health. Wow, that's so good. I wanna go through it. I wanna go through the assessment. <laughs> it's exciting. You can actually do a personal assessment for free online. Okay. If you go to elemental churches and, uh, and it's kind of fun. You can just go through it and it tells you which of the uh, elements that are kind of your natural strength, what you lean into. Right. I think passion is my strength. Uh, and I bet imagination. Yep. But it's interesting. You're an entrepreneur yourself, Matt. And so you've started a loop community and that's become really a, quite a big thing. You've probably had to learn a lot about systems and processes. And you've probably forced yourself to think in terms of integrity. How do we get the business done? Yeah. And you may have even shifted there. Yeah, I've had to. I think definitely I could still work on the systems part because I think I get so passionate, just like, hey, let's do this idea. And then, you know, I'm just like down, you know, five miles down the road working on it and there's no system yet. Oh, of course. I Man, this is so good. I was actually reading, there was a section you said, leaders aren't born, they're developed as long as they get good tools and have skills modeled for them and are given opportunities. Leadership seems like it's like a buzzword. And my question for you, I'm just curious, this is kind of a bonus question is, do you think that everyone is a leader or are some meant to be followers? Well, it's a great question. My take is, I think everyone is called to lead. Now, what the span or scope of that is, that's God's business. But when you look at the command that Jesus gave us, it is to teach everyone what I commanded you, make disciples. And I don't think any of us get to opt out of that. I don't think any of us get to say, eh, nah, that's not my thing. No, Jesus said, make disciples. You go make disciples. Right. So whether that's just your neighbor, or maybe you only do that four times in your life or whatever, anytime you do that, you're leading someone. Mm. And no matter where you are in life, I can almost guarantee you that someone is looking up to you. Someone looking to you. And so our job, our first job is to lead kids who are far away from their dad home to dad. And that's leadership. For some people, that becomes a massive thing where they're leading churches or organizations or ministries or missions or whatever. For other people, it's me and my neighbor. It's me and my kids. It's me and whoever. Right now, we have three grandkids 
And my wife and I feel a responsibility along with the parents to make sure that we model what the life of Jesus looks like. Wow, that's good. (laughs) And if you're modeling, you're leading. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's also good to take off the pressure of, you know, what God has given you. It's going to look different than other people. You may not have a massive mega church. Absolutely right. That's up to God. But I will tell you this. Every good leader has been a good follower at some point. And so you you had to follow someone. I had to follow someone. I learned, you know, how to respect spiritual authority. I learned at some point that, hey, my parents aren't as dumb as I thought they were. (laughs) You know, when I was a teenager, I thought I knew everything. It's the old Mark Twain. (laughs) He ran away from home when he came back, discovered how much smarter his dad had gotten. Good leaders come from good followers. Wow. Well, I I know that following you, you know, because you were my senior pastor for five years, and I see all four of these uh, essentials in you as a leader. Very kind of you. So Dave, I was actually reminded recently of a story of back when I was on staff at the Vineyard and you were the senior pastor there. And I was leading worship for a week-long youth conference called Summer of Service. And it was just a blast, like probably like 10 worship services throughout the week. And I actually wrote probably, wow, I don't even know, 10 songs, 10 original songs that I was going to teach all the students at this youth conference throughout the week. And it was cool. I mean, but it was challenging because, you know, you're introducing like 10 new songs. But, you know, by the time a week's over, like everybody knows them very well. Um, However, at the end of the youth conference, I remember I got a really nasty email from a youth leader in the area who was like really (laughs) kind of mean to me about, you know, I can't believe that you would you know, introduce all new songs, like how dare you like, you know, write a bunch of songs and introduce them to the kids there instead of like, you know, playing songs that everybody knew. And like, it was a really, honestly, it was a really uh, discouraging email. And uh, I remember a couple of days later, you emailed me and you were like, hey, let's go to, to Panera and uh, get lunch. And I remember being like really scared thinking, oh no, here it comes. Senior pastor, it's going to, you know, <laughs> he's going to lay down the law on me and, and be really, you know, upset that I did this. And I remember you sat me down at Panera and my heart was beating so fast. And you were like, Matt, you know, I was at the worship night last night at the youth conference. And he's like, honestly, what you did with writing all those songs was, I think, a genius idea. I remember you saying, I think it was brilliant. It was just so encouraging to me that you um, would kind of see my heart behind what I was doing. And you were always an encourager when it came to, you know, new music. You know, you're a musician yourself, so you're always such, a, such an encourager for new music and worship leading. And I just felt really, um, I just felt really supported in that. I really felt like you, um, you know, kind of let me spread my wings and fly a bit. And that really meant a lot to me. It spoke a lot of your leadership, too. Well, you were easy to, to wave the flag for because you were a good writer. I really like it when worship leaders are encouraged to write music. And here's why. They're in that role for a reason. And so when you're in that role and you have that big of a platform, you have a microphone in front of people, then the crap that you go through, the good and the bad that birth songs out of you, mm-hmm. Well, you're in that body, and so it has a prophetic edge to it then. 
And so because you're in that body, that song means something special to the body of Christ. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been in that body. <laughs> mm. God wouldn't have put you there. That's why when pastors speak out of their experience, it has so much more oomph to it. It mm. really means something to the people who are listening. There's a prophetic edge to it because God put that person in charge in that moment to speak. Wow. So I like the prophetic edge of worship leaders who experiment and take risks in writing. Yeah, it definitely was an experiment and a risk. Thank you so much for just uh, supporting and encouraging me in that, because that moment I remember meant a lot to me. Uh, Well, what you hope is that they have the maturity to watch what happens in those moments when they are introducing their own songs to see people are really connecting. Yeah. The proof in the pudding is, are people worshiping? Right. Yeah, because some songs don't work, and then you just got to be able to pull it out. But you don't know that until you take risks. Right. Would you say there's a song or an album right now that personally means a lot to you? So when you listen to it, it just like personally just like connects you with God. Well, I'm really out of the loop in terms of worship music. I'm way out of the loop. But I like some of the stuff that I hear from House Fires and yeah. and Sons and Daughters and some Bethel stuff I love. Some some of Hillsong United, old Hillsong United stuff still does it for me. Yeah. I think I tend to lean more into intimate songs and anthems. <laughs> yeah. But outside of the worship realm, I don't think anyone's uh, anyone's music has spiritually affected me more than John Foreman. And I don't know what it is, but he somehow his writing connects with me. And I still periodically, uh, periodically I'll play Learning How to Die. Uh-huh. It's kind of a theme song for yeah. me from his solo stuff. Yeah, his, so, his lyrics are so poetic. Yeah, they really are. It just there's some there's something authentic about his pain and how it sneaks into the songs, and yet it still feels hopeful. Oh. <laughs> That's the thing I love. Right, right. Uh, people who are in pain, you know, you got to tell the truth. But if you can somehow, it's like David in the Psalms will just kind of unload and vent. And then all of a sudden he'll turn around the last few verses and say, and yet will I praise you. You think, ooh, that person has something I want. Wow. But anyway, yeah, so that's probably it. Secular-wise, I, I got to tell you, man, I have to admit I'm loving Portugal the man. And I have a uh, I have a band crush on the Punch Brothers and just about <laughs> anything Chris Thiele does. Oh, my god! Yeah, goodness. it's so good. Freaking genius. Oh, gosh. Are you missing pastoring at all? No, not at all. <laughs> what I miss is communicating. I do miss being able to, to think through, think hard, and pray hard about a message and then offer it out. Right. So I do that. But I don't miss the operational side. I absolutely love pastors, and I love the local church. I don't care. For Easter, we were in a church. My wife and I went to a church of uh, 60 people and absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. And they had pancake and champagne breakfast before the Easter service. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. These guys are fun. That's awesome. I think that the way that you handled the transition from the new guy coming in to take over at the vineyard is such a good example for churches because... I feel like there's a lot of churches where like the senior pastor is just hanging on for like barrel, you know, by his fingernails, you know, even, even after the new guy comes in, you know, not even like letting the new guy lead. And I feel like you did that so well and modeled that so well. That's very kind of you, Matt. Thanks. Uh, I mean, really, 
just kind of obeyed what God said. I really felt like God had spoken to us. And, and you know, you know from experience that when God says stuff, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> just do it. You know, it doesn't do any good to argue. Right. And, um, I think probably like you that uh, all of my Christian walk is always about letting go. Mm. It's always about letting go of something. And uh, I have this uh, this corollary in the Elemental Leaders book that says, it's in the imagination chapter, I think, that you can't grow without change. So growth equals change. And you cannot change without letting go of something in the past. Mm. It's impossible. So if we want to grow, we're going to change. And if we're going to change, we have to let go of something. And I think God is all about yep. growth. I think he's all about change, of maturation, of productivity. And that just doesn't happen when we hang on to the old. Right. I remember Robbie Ryder telling me one time, he's like, growth and comfort don't usually hang out together. Yeah, that's absolutely right. He, he was absolutely right. Wow. And uh, that's, just, that's just part of your walk with Jesus is letting go of stuff constantly. Dave, this has been good. I feel like I just had like a personal, just like uh, coaching counseling session. How much do I owe you? Where do I? <laughs> You're too funny. No, this that. is so good, man. Where So where can worship leaders and pastors find you if they want to, you know, dig more into the four elements? Yeah, I'd suggest going to uh, elementalchurches.com. Okay. And uh, the Elemental Leaders book, it's available on Amazon. We use it more as curriculum than anything else. Our curriculum is that book and then a 90-page workbook that accompanies that. But but yeah, I'd say go to the website. You can get all the info there. Awesome. There are a few blog posts and other things there, some other resources as well. Well, good. Yeah, thank you for just your example of leadership and for taking the time to talk and for pastoring me well for five years, a young punk kid out of college. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, if I could use you as an example, I would say, wow. We're a huge success. <laughs> you <laughs> right. have done really, really well, man. Yeah. Um, thanks, man. And stayed faithful over all the years. That's a good thing. Hmm. To me, the picture of success for me has been my two daughters both love Jesus, and they're both in ministry, and they're in their 30s. <laughs> wow. Right. Yeah, they're pastor's kids, and they made it through. Dave, thanks, man. Hey, bless you, man. And uh, blessings to all the Loop community out there. It's yeah. good stuff. Keep worshiping, keep leading, keep bringing people to the Father. Hey community, our indie spotlight this month is Life Church Music. They're based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and are under the leadership of Nando Herrera. Life Church Music aims to activate life change in people's hearts by leading them to grow in their worship lifestyle. Their second album, Future Kingdom, was released in February of this year. The album serves as a reminder of what life looks like as we await God's coming promise and how we should live our lives here and now. Let's hear from Nando now. Future Kingdom is based off of Romans 8. This chapter is just loaded with promises for a better life and hope in the kingdom coming. This became the foundation for our entire record. One standout verse declares, Though our suffering may be great, it pales in comparison to the glory we will one day experience. That is referencing the return of Jesus and the establishment of his new kingdom. 
All of the songs on this record explore this idea as they talk about the struggles we may go through and how we should respond in our times of tribulation. This honest approach of writing was something very different for us, but it proved to be very effective as we introduced the songs to our church. Each new song resonated in a real way with so many people, and we have been amazed to hear the stories of life change that have come out of these moments. It is our prayer that these songs would be a source of hope for listeners and that the transparency and vulnerability would help lead people to a deeper relationship with Jesus through worship. Thanks, Nando. Now let's hear Life Church Music's new song, Kingdom Come. This is Community Talk. Derek, come on, man. That's an awesome interview. One of my favorites. Dave Workman is packed with wisdom. Yeah. I mean, he's been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. Senior pastor, uh, musician. I loved his like musician roots. Yes. Because he was in this like rock band, Prodigal, <laughs> which you've got to YouTube videos of this because you can actually spot Dave in these videos. But they were like actually like a big deal in the Christian music That's awesome. world You know, a long time ago. Um, But I'm so glad that he wrote this book, Elemental Leaders, and packed it just full of leadership principles. And um, I had read his other book, Outward Focused Life, Mm -hmm. and that's super helpful. What I like about this book is that it talks about uh, leadership principles for the individual leader, but also how those exact same principles can be applied to an organization. Oh, yeah. So it's amazing because you can apply it to yourself. Mm -hmm. But then you can also then take those exact same principles and apply it to whatever it is that you do, whether you own a business, you know, whether you're leading your family, whether you've got some side hobby thing that you're doing, side hustle, you can apply these, these elements to both sides. Nice. And I think that's cool because it gives you just a much broader picture of how you can be a better leader, you know, through your organization and, you know, personally. Yeah. So this is a killer book. What stood out to you in this interview? Um, the whole thing. But uh, more specifically, Dave talked a lot about the relationship between a senior pastor and the worship pastor and the senior pastor and worship leaders, which I know a lot of people tend to struggle with sometimes, um, depending on the church they're at or if leadership changes and how you relate to those different roles and then how they can come together um, to lead the church. And he talks about first how there has to be a mutual respect between both of them. Yeah. The worship pastor has to respect the senior pastor, and the senior pastor has to respect the worship pastor and what yeah. he does. Yeah, um, I think if, that's good. Yeah. Because I do feel like oftentimes like there is a lack of communication, and it probably does boil down to a lack of respect in some ways of mm-hmm. like, like for example, like maybe the worship pastor sees like the pastor is like, oh, it's just like old guy who doesn't like understand 
artists or doesn't understand worship culture or like young people. But then you might have a worship or the pastor who maybe is like, oh, this like artist, like he doesn't work hard. Right. Like he doesn't see everything else that's happening. He's just like a, you know, arrogant punk. There's like lack of respect on both levels and that can cause a major breakdown in the working relationship. Yeah. And a lot of it, like you said, is just communicating and yeah. coming together and Dave said this too, like understand the values and the culture of your church. Mm. And then you can both learn how each other fits in that role. And then you have more respect for each other. Right. And it can just be an awesome, healthy right. relationship that you can demonstrate to your church yeah. and lead them better. Yeah, that is interesting. Because I think, you know, obviously every church is totally different here. Right, right. Some pastors have been around for 30 years at their church and some are like brand new. Right. And maybe the worship pastor has been there longer. Yeah. But I think in most cases, I would say that probably the senior pastor has been at that church longer than the worship leader has. Yeah. And in that example, I think that, you know, yeah, a worship leader could come into a church and just want to change everything. Right. And be like, we're not doing these songs. We're not doing, we're never doing a hymn again. We're wearing V-necks <laughs> on stage. You know, we're going to do like, you know, this time of music, we're going to push it this loud. Yeah. All sorts of things. And really cause some friction. Mm-hmm. between the people of the church and the senior pastor. And it's all because the worship leader didn't take any time at all to actually think, well, wait, what's this culture that I'm walking into? Yeah, And that's where the communication part comes in of like, that could have been resolved if the worship leader had good communication with the pastor of like, listen, tell me about the culture of the church. You know, like you've been here for 30 years. Right. You started the church, you know, tell like, help me understand like, you know, what's the culture? Like, what are the people? What kind of songs do we sing here? What? You know, instead of just coming in and changing everything, it reminds me of the yeah. interview with Brandon Grissom. It does, yeah. Yeah, like listening more. Yeah, being patient before you change everything. Learn from the church in your new role. Exactly. Yeah. And then that comes into respect of like yeah. respecting the worship, the senior pastor that like, hey, been around here longer than you have. He knows these people. He has relationship with them more than you do probably. And really using that to like learn and to, you know, be humble in that. And I also think that it does come down to that like the senior pastor's in charge. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of worship leaders think they're in charge. Yeah. And uh, the senior pastor is basically the main worship leader. Yeah. Like the senior pastor is setting the worship culture for the whole church. It all trickles down. So like the main worship leader at the church really is the senior pastor. And I think that like as worship leaders, we need to be looking to our senior pastors to be like, all right, what can I be doing to like help contribute to that? Yeah. And to lead this church well. Yeah, for sure. And then Dave mentions too, like, if you don't feel that your pastor understands where your role fits in or why you want to do things a certain way, don't just get upset. Like, talk to him. Tell him right. why corporate worship is important. Show him why you want to sing this song. Right. Explain the biblical parts behind the songs that you want to sing instead of just saying, well, I want to play this and leaving it there like explain why you want the sound at a certain level and if you don't know why you're singing these songs then maybe you shouldn't be and <laughs> you should be able to express this to him and yep. he'll respect you for yep. coming to him and talking to him about it yep and uh, yeah and i think that could be as simple as like yeah having the conversation go out for coffee or even just like when there's a new worship album that comes out that you really love or a new song, like send it to him. Yeah. Just be like, I love the song. What do you think? And ask for his feedback. Yeah. Because I think awesome. the senior pastor would also feel that respect. Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, he's actually asking like what I think instead of just like automatically playing it. Right. You know, without even like including the main worship leader. You yeah, know? for sure. Like being on the same page in that regard is is huge. 
Yeah. And the worship pastor needs to know that Dave says this, that the pastor handles a lot of needs, not just theirs. Yeah. The pastor is handling everyone in the church's needs and people are coming to him with their thoughts about what you play instead yeah. of coming to you a lot of times. And right. people are walking up to the pastor and telling him all of the different yeah. um, things they're thinking and problems they're yeah. having and how Coffee's they want cold. things to be. Yeah, The kids' ministry, people aren't there yet. Right. The parking was crammed. The right, exactly. Constant, constant. And so he has a lot of needs. And so we just need to be patient with our senior pastors and love them well. And Right. Yeah. Yeah, you have to remember that like the senior pastor is seeing everything from like 75,000 feet. Right. So they are seeing everything that's happening. And Dave, yeah, yeah talked about that. Yeah. We're like the worship leader, like we're, we're maybe seeing things from 30,000 feet. Right. Which is cool, but we just have to remember that there is someone above us who's actually seeing a much larger picture. Yes. And maybe knows more reasons of why we need to be singing a hymn or why we need to be, you know, looking decent on stage or yeah. I don't know or why it needs to not be like 110 dB yeah. in the room right. I love it when it's loud personally <laughs> but I think it all comes down to just like humility yes and like being respectful of authority mm-hmm. of like who's over you and and I and, and mutually though I yeah. think like and this is what kind of what Dave's saying is that there can be a healthy mutual respect mutual right. relationship where senior pastor listens to the worship leader and vice versa and yeah yeah he said like pastor's know or should know that like the corporate worship like the songs are a third of the service yeah um, when you're together and so they know that your role is important yeah just sometimes they know how you can orchestrate your role um, in different ways and you can work together to yeah um, have a great time of corporate worship for a whole service it is pretty crazy when you think about that yeah of how much the music portion is like like at our church yeah music probably takes up like almost half of the whole hour yeah, and a half just if you combine it half. all together. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know there's churches where like the senior pastor just checks out, doesn't even like think about the worship time, yeah. music. You know, they're back in the green room and then they just come out just for their message and then leave and kind of maybe don't have as much like involvement mm-hmm. in what happens in that music time. And I think they're actually missing out because yeah. they're kind of forgetting that there's like a whole congregation of 600 people or whatever that are being affected by this, you know, 30, 45 minute music time. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a senior pastor, like they should be involved in that process. And that's one thing I really love about our church because I sure. know that our senior pastor loves worship. He played guitar on stage he plays last guitar. Sunday. Yeah, right. That's awesome. He's always been very actively involved in like, this is an important part of our service. For sure. And it's a major chunk of our service. Yeah. And it all works together. The yes. worship connects with the message. Right, it's and all vice versa. worship. It's all, yeah, right. Just part of it is with music. Totally. And when you think about it that way and when you can work together as a team, then you're a great example for your church and the services will just be more effective and love yeah. God the, as best they can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know Dave too. Like we talked about that a little bit in the podcast about him. He closes every one of his messages or he did when he was when he was pastoring that he would actually close his messages with a guitar That's and awesome. he would just sing like an old vineyard worship song that everybody knew. Something that like tied in as like the final point of his message. That's awesome. And what I love about that is it does kind of like, it shows that like, he's like the main worship leader. Like he's leading this congregation and, you know, through worship, through the word and worship through music. And like, it's just a great example to set, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's a really good example. I think the other thing too he talked about was, uh, you know, understanding the different workloads that each one has. Yeah. And 
how I feel like a lot of times senior pastors are very type A. Mm-hmm. And music directors, worship leaders are typically, if you know the Enneagram, they're like fours, like very creative, like artsy mm-hmm. and like non-type A. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, senior pastors maybe can like work in like spreadsheet format and worship pastors are like that stresses them out. Right. Or like they just can't think that way. Not everyone. And so I love that what Dave was talking about was like give your creative worship pastor some space. Yes. Because I have worked before for senior pastors who are like, they can't understand like why, like they're not working. Like, you know, they're right. being creative. Like, what are they doing? They're just playing their guitar, wasting time in the office, like playing music all day. Like what, are they actually working? Like, right. Because to them, like working is like sending the emails and doing the spreadsheets and doing yeah. all the planning, which that is a part of worship pastoring. But like, there is a part of the creative element that you need time yeah. and space. Yep. And I thought that was really uh, good that he talked about that. Yeah, he talked about like, let them dream. Like let yeah. them come up with what worship could be or listen to songs for a portion of the day to just decide like what could i use what could our worship yeah during service be that's important right instead of just task list stuff um, right oh man we could keep talking forever and ever for sure we've already gone over our time frame but i think that there's so much in this interview i honestly i, I could interview him again because there's so yeah. many even more questions i have so if you guys are listening to this podcast and you want to learn more about this, I would highly recommend getting this book, Elemental Leaders. It's an excellent book. Four essentials every leader needs and every church must have. Yes. So the leader and organization tie-in. This would be a great book to take your team through or like maybe you and your worship and your senior pastor to go through together. Because it also helps you identify the you know the culture of the church. And so this is good. Derek, good to see you again. You too. Loop Community, we love you guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Loop Community Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe.